This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. This meeting is being sponsored by the 12-Step Committee for the distinct purpose of creating tapes for the 12-Step Committee Tape Library. Those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. My heart's going a mile a minute, and I'm a nervous wreck. Um, But thank you, God, um, for the discipline to this program, because I know for me I just show up. Uh, I grew up in Boston where, thank you, God, again, I was used to getting up speaking in front of the people, 200 people in a room, and uh, it helps a little bit. to have the big crowd here and know that I've lived before and done it. So um, I'm truly, truly grateful to be here today, this afternoon, at this incredible convention, conference of F.A., and so proud to be an F.A. member. And that's not where I'm coming from. I did not want to be one of these losers addicts, you know. (laughs) I did not. I was so full of pride and ego and rebellion and all those character defects that I love today identifying and being able to um, put them at bay with the help of this program. Um, I guess my earliest recollections for me were fear, doubt, and insecurity. I didn't start off as a heavy baby necessarily or anything. And I remember that fear, uh, just not knowing how to cope with life. And for me, that fear is the bottom of everything. When I find, when I look at my character defects and what goes on for me, I can always roust it down to fear. Um, And I'll say, okay, what's that fear? And that fear is always much easier to cope with than that anxiety of not knowing what was going on for me. Because when I didn't know, it would always register eat. You know, I grew up so negative, so skeptical. Um, my most common reactions to life were to eat and to have those feelings of negativity and skepticism and rebellion and uh, I dare you to teach me, I dare you to show me, you know, I was just a real rebel and um, at a young age I remember running away from home. It's actually my first recollection is when I was three years old and running away. I don't remember why, I just remember running up the street and my brother coming and getting me. And that was became a pattern for me, just running from life, not knowing how to cope, not knowing where to go. Uh, I grew up with seven children in my family, two loving parents. And if you had known me in early recovery, I could I would have whined on your shoulder about how awful it was growing up. And I didn't want to be there in that home, and I didn't want to be in, in my body, and I didn't want to be um, have the parents that I had or anything. I just wanted anybody else's life. In this program, I learned to really like me, and that's been such a gift and such a wonderful part of my recovery. Um, Also very young, I remember 
in like first grade, trust me, I'm not going to go every grade. <laughs> when people start, I go, oh no, they're going to do every grade. <laughs> we'll be here forever. Um, <laughs> I'll just pick out the significant ones that really show who I used to be like, what happened to me when I walked into these rooms, and what I'm like now. And um, as Father Fowl uh, would say, uh, just tell them what happened to you, you know. And my favorite part of my story today, and it used to be the worst part of my story, was that when I came into these rooms, it was in 1980. And I want to say right now, and I've been abstinent since day one, <laughs> but that isn't my story. <laughs> Darn. My story is that I bucked and I kicked and I fought for 12 years, 12 years in these rooms, and I'd keep going to um, meetings out in the suburbs, and I'd go to Gray Sheet, and I'd, I'd go to all the different meetings. I knew a lot of different people in the, in the Boston area. Uh, I did grow up in Boston. Uh, I grew up in Lexington, Mass. It's neat to hear a lot of people living out there now, because those were the suburbs, and uh, I lived a lot of my adult life in Linfield, Mass., and that's where I could hide in Weight Watches and diet centers and weight loss clinic and tops and liquid protein and all the different diets I'd try. But I hadn't even surrendered when I walked into these rooms. Um, I was in a lot of pain and I remember going to Weight Watches meetings and friends of mine um, heard about OA and so we'd go to a Weight Watches meeting, weigh in, feel humiliated, go to an OA meeting, they took it a little more seriously, and I'd sit, we'd sit in the first row and giggle at them how seriously they took this, this disease that we have today. And, and I was like, um, they just, as I said, they just take it so seriously, you know. And I was 210 pounds when I walked into these rooms and gaining. And each time I'd do a 10-pound increment of gaining the weight, um, I'd say, okay, I'll be okay here. If I can just stay at 180, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. But I couldn't stay at 180, you know, so the pain just kept getting greater and greater, and the pounds kept coming on and on. And when I hit 210, I was just like, oh, boy, I've really done it now, you know. And that's when I started um, the Weight Watches and the OA. And um, I know, I remember that first feeling of walking into the rooms and saying, I'm home. You know, as a lot of people talk about, I'm home. These, as, I think I was going to therapy, and I remember, I love talking deep. Nobody in my family can talk deep, so I never got my needs met there. My needs got met here, and then I was able to be a part of my family after coming into some form of recovery. And, um, and, and that's why I stress I was around the rooms for 12 years. I wasn't in the rooms like all these people that are doing this wonderful service, you know, that just came into these rooms and said, Uncle, I give. I wasn't ready to at that point. But as I said, I did identify that I was home, that these people like to talk deep like I did, and they all had the same crazy head about food, you know, and we could talk about food. I was at the shrink, and I couldn't talk about food. Or they didn't, he didn't understand it. Um, so I have all these random thoughts about your life growing up and everything, and I hope I can put it into some semblance of continuity here. Um, so I, I was back at first grade. I was pretty feminine. I had long hair, and I, um, I can remember pictures of me in dresses and stuff, and it was from then on that I just got introduced to the boys in the neighborhood, and I became a tomboy, and I loved playing football and baseball and 
I was pretty good. I, I was real good at it. And, and a part of that was you beat up each other. Boy, little boys wrestle. And I used to wrestle, and I was one of the best wrestlers. And I really liked that. And, um, again, still that fear, doubt, and insecurity all throughout, all throughout. But I didn't know what it was. And, again, I didn't know that I could go to my parents, you know, and ask for help or let them know how I was feeling. Um, my first recollections of food was around that time. And I remember... Um, there was a cabinet, a big cabinet with seven kids. There's a lot of food around, but it wasn't ours to take, so I'd have to steal, and that's when I started stealing food and, uh, and getting up in the middle of the night and eating food and stealing change out of my mother's purse so that I could go buy food at the corner store. And um, just a lot of escape, a lot of that disease I saw happening pretty young, but of course I, I didn't recognize it at all. Um, so when I, in the teenage years, I, I knew that I was a girl, and I better start acting like a girl. I wasn't a boy. I wasn't going to make it to the big leagues or be a baseball pro or anything. So I started pretending now how to be a girl. So that kind of started that actress in me of, all right, how are these girls in the neighborhood acting? You know, they were practicing all along with the little dolls and dresses and makeup and all that. And I just got, as a teenager, when you've got all those hormones and confusion anyways, I was now trying to play the role of a of a feminine girl. And I happened to hang around with in my neighborhood some very pretty girls, and they were dating right off the bat. And I... Um, I think that's when I really started that ugly duckling feeling. I felt like a little ugly duckling, and here these girls were so pretty and um, nothing to compare, you know. So I did a lot of babysitting. We also grew up in the 60s, late 60s and 70s, when there was a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and um, we fell into that pretty easily, sneaking booze from the house and doing crazy things and there was this one house that I could go to one of my girlfriends whose mother had gone insane who was never had any supervision my parents as I said were normal normally strict parents but I didn't want that I wanted to be in that house where we could ride go-karts around the yard and stay up all hours of the night and my girlfriend was great at making excuses so I just should think of a great story and I'd go tell it to my parents and I'd get out for the night and usually get grounded because I'd get caught. Um, but the babysitting started um, when I was grounded. I could babysit, so I babysit a real lot, whether it was that they were dating and I was home or I was grounded and they could still go because they didn't have supervision. And my eating really took off then. Um, I would go to people's homes and just steal their food, steal their clothes sometimes. it was it, I had a lot of work to do in my AWOLs, you know, about things that I had done in my past that I was just so ashamed of, just so ashamed of. And I, prior to these rooms, I didn't know how to cope with that. I did not know how to cope with life. Um, so today it's wonderful to have a blueprint for living and have a foundation under me, you know, no matter what comes up for me now. You know, when I, the other day in my AWOL, I was sharing about how I would have told you when I came in these programs, I was little honest Jane, you know, I didn't lie. I didn't do all those things. And Today I found, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself when I lie at night and take that 10-step inventory, I'd lied three times that day, and it's like, I'm not cured yet, you know, <laughs> keep on working on it. Um, but the teenage years were tough for me, and uh, the eating really, really became a way of life for me. 
And I just thought I liked food, that's all. I didn't realize that I was escaping from life. I didn't realize that I didn't know how to cope. I just liked food. And they were the parent, the supervision was gone, and I'd eat them out of house and home. It still always cracks me up that um, they'd ask me back, but it dawned on me years later that they weren't food addicts. They probably didn't notice it for a month, you know, that, that food was missing. And I have my pictures. I'm going to pass those around. Um, so about 15 or 16, I started taking the diet pills, and I started right off the get-go with the heavy-duty black beauties, and um, that was great. I had reached nirvana, um, but in hindsight, I saw that it took away any willpower that I had at all um, as far as dieting went, and you can only do so many and for so long, and I remember... So I was 15 or 16 at that point in my life. My teenage life just went on as it was. And at 19, I got pregnant, and I had to stop taking the diet pills. And I ended up gaining 65 pounds in that pregnancy, you know, right from probably my lowest weight ever at that point, 135, uh, to 199 when I weighed in um, with my first child. And I had such guilt and such remorse over that, that first month I was taking diet pills of that pregnancy, and I thought that I'd have a uh, deformed or something wrong with my child. And thank you, God, today he's graduated from the University of New Hampshire on a scholarship, and he's healthy and well today, and I can let go of that guilt. Um, And I had another daughter also, and and, um, that's an interesting part of my story because everything I've done in my life has always been through pain. I, I didn't come in these rooms skipping and jumping, yippee, I get to change my whole life, you know, and do all these disciplines. It just wasn't like that for me. I was in dire pain when I walked into these rooms. And um, an analogy I use a lot is giving birth to my daughter. Um, I, was, I was knocked out with my son, and I was definitely going to be knocked out with my daughter. And I had had a cup of coffee in the morning, and they wouldn't knock me out. And uh, so I was going real fast, and... <laughs> The analogy is so cool for me because it is how I do my life. And there were many deliveries that day, and I was in the car just waiting. And as they were wheeling me in, I was grabbing the sides of the car to saying, knock me out, knock me out, knock me out. And that's the story of my life. Just knock me out. Just knock me out. Um, that fear is just incredible in my life, you know, and I know I'm not alone in that today. That That, that is the, the very nature of our disease. And um, thank you, God, for my process, because that process has brought me where I am today. I don't regret any of my life today. I know that it has brought me where I am today, because I used to get into, oh, those people that can do Weight Watchers, you know. And I'm glad I experienced every one of those experiences, Um, and, and even the mostly the painful ones mostly the painful ones and not fun going through them but boy have I learned so much through the pain so as I said um, let's see that was through through my early 20s was just as bad uh, as my teenage years I I wouldn't go back to those for all the money in the world I as I get older I just feel better and better and and of course that's a direct result of my recovery and that surrender in my life Um, Another part of my story is self-will. I just had a a will of iron, a will of iron. And it's interesting to me because I think if people, I see a lot of before and afters, and it's awesome for me. I think if I just stood up here and showed you my pictures, it would be like, cool, you know, what a difference. 
But for me, I didn't change a whole lot. If you were to know me back then prior to program and you know me now, you wouldn't notice much, I don't think, because I didn't let people get to know me. And nobody knew about that big black hole inside of me that we all know today you can only fill with God. I was trying to fill it with a lot of other things. But I did a great song and dance. I, I really did. I can pat myself on the back for that, but it didn't help me at all. But I was that great actress, and I knew what you liked, and I knew what you wanted to do, and I knew how to be a great friend. I did not have one clue what I wanted, though. And I didn't find that out until uh, I was 25 years old, and I tried to commit suicide. And I had no idea what was going on for me. I knew I was in pain, but I had no idea what was going on for me. And when I ended up in the hospital... Um, I remember the doctor saying, uh, what would you like to be doing tomorrow? What would you like to be doing in a year? What would you like to be doing in five years? And I'd be like, I don't have a clue. But that began my process of recovery and finding out what made me tick. Um, I then left the hospital and went, got into a woman's group. From that woman's group, I think that's when I found um, I was doing Weight Watches because that was so familiar to me. I, I, I must have gone back to there. I don't know how many times. Um, and then the, FA, the AA, which was the foundation of where I learned FA. And, and I truly believe, and I heard it one of my last trips up to Boston, somebody in the room saying that, um, that she's always worked FA. You know, it was in the guise of OA, but... She's always worked F.A. I honestly can't say that either. I, I watched you guys all grow in F.A., but again, I was out there in the suburbs. Um, it was just too hard for me to think, no flour, no sugar, weigh and measure three meals a day. Um, my a lot of, again, a part of my story is feeling like that little ugly duckling. I thought I would make it and I'd be happy and serene and life I'd have it made if I just found those beautiful people and became a part of them. If I had the money, if I had the nice car, if I had the nice house, that'll do it. Mm, wrong answer. It didn't work for me. Um, I got to experience it, which I'm glad of, and I wasn't any happier than... In those lean years when I was trying to scrape up money to buy the groceries for the week. So I'm grateful so much for my experiences. It's helped me so much. So I was 30 years old when I walked into these rooms. No, yes, 30 years old, 1980. And um, you guys just had too much information, too deep. <laughs> Oh, but I'm so grateful that I just kept bringing my body. It didn't matter if I was in Cambridge and going to Gracie or Revere once in a while. And as I said, I came in 1980, and, I, and that first year, I remember going to one of the AWOLs. So it must have been, as she described it, probably the second or third one that they were doing because nobody else was doing AWOLs at that time. And the room was full, brought at least 200 people. And I remember, and we were doing the, they were doing the little, we, I always want to say that, we were doing this, <laughs> not, they were doing this, I was visiting. And so, they were doing the little red book, and, and I still, when we recently went back to the little red book, I had such an aversion to the little red book, and it took my sponsor really saying, yeah, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. But I remember sitting there, and people would get up and share, and I'd be like, what are they talking about? I had no clue. I was so fogged and I was so in la-la land. 
I didn't have a clue what recovery sounded like, you know, and that's what it sounded like. People getting up and talking about walking through fears of driving on 128, you know. People talking about um, accomplishments, things, getting married, dating, living their lives, you know. I just was such a basket case. Um, for me, my story and the thing that the only thing that I did perfectly through all those years was I kept on bringing my body to the meetings. That's the only thing I kept on doing. And I'll hear people talk about leaving for six months, left for a year. I never left, which was ironic. I just go from community to community to community. And if I ate, I wouldn't tell my, I get the biggest kick out of this because my sponsors will say, they never called me back. They just left program. It's like, yeah, that's what I did all the time. If I ate, I'd go to another community, and I'd get to know you guys a little bit and eat again and move on to the next community, you know, and it was very sick stuff, and I don't recommend it. Let me have done the pain for you. I say that all the time. Let me have done the pain for you, and... um I love it today that people will say thanks for sharing that story because um, then not everybody comes in and gets zapped abstinent. They don't. I found out through the years, and I was certainly not one. And and when I do tell my story too, it, it's ironic because I I did have stints of like I remember getting abstinent for two years and eating, three years and eating. So it wasn't constant eating those whole twelve years because I can remember sitting in the rooms just crying my eyes out, thinking why can't I get it. Why can't I get it? Well, I was always white-knuckling it. I never really surrendered to how this program works. We were talking the other night, and um, somebody, we were talking about sponsors, the number of sponsors, and I always say, I had 42 sponsors, you know, and it, it's not that many. I always exaggerate. I'll say 50 million a lot, too, and that's not accurate. But I, did, I can count at least 15 that I had through those 12 years. So when I got to... Um, Nine and a half years ago, that's the amount of abstinence I have today. And I, when I think about it, wow, I may reach 10. Wow. I can remember people at five years, you know, and, of course, that was still in kind of the suburbs at that point, too. And I think, five years. I can't get 21 days together. Never mind five years. And to think, this bozo standing up here nine and a half years later. Wow. But it's because I was broken uh, the, there's a page in the 20, uh, many pages in the 24-hour book that talk about that refinement, you know, and the pruning of the branches and the molding of the clay. And God sure did it with me; just kept humbling me and humbling me. And I, I still don't know if it was God humbling me or God getting me through those situations. But um, I'm just grateful today for that process of humbling. And, and I truly believe that's what that was all about because I was somebody who wanted to have arrived. I don't want to have to practice the piano. I just want to be able to play the piano. Um, so I paid my dues, and I like it when our literature talks about that. And, and I do love the Red Book today, believe it or not. But uh, it was hard doing that again after the 12 and 12. It's nice and wordy, and you can kind of hide in that too. But I still do love it. Um, so the 12 and 12 talks about, I mean, the Little Red Book talks about that, how um, we just, it cuts to the quick for me. It really describes who I am, you know, as a food addict. Um, so my recovery was definitely a rocky road. And so nine and a half years ago, when I finally, finally was beaten down, so beaten down, and really needed to um, surrender, 
That's the only word I can think of. I needed to surrender. I had already, again, as I said, I had had at least 15 sponsors at that point. I had tried to manipulate everyone. I had tried, well, one lets you have this food, and but that one makes you go to that many meetings, and this one you can get away with this. I've chosen sponsors for many different reasons, and um, sometimes I just like the outfit they were wearing that day, and it's like, well, you sponsor me? You know? <laughs> But if they had a day of abstinence, they had more than I did. So um, when I um, had broken my abstinence that nine and a half years ago, I, I, it was interesting because I, my core group of people that I call it, the group of people that I hung around with, worked a good, strong program. And um, I was, again, my disease wanted to tell me, get that one, nothing against New Hampshire, we're in New Hampshire, get that one in New Hampshire, you know, she'll let you get away with stuff. But it kept tugging that these all these girls were all had a good strong sponsor. So I was interviewing sponsors at the time, <laughs> and a girlfriend of mine said, "Do yourself a favor, just call that one, you know, because I was debating." And so I did. I called, and it's somebody who's never available, never has any time, and she happened to have time. And I was like. I didn't realize that at the time, but there is a God. And I had asked her 10 years previous in one of my visits to Chelsea, and uh, she had said, you know, it just wouldn't be fair to you because, of course, she didn't have the time. So at that point, I was just beaten. I didn't care. You know, I say this a lot, and it gets misconstrued, but if, if she told me to walk on the yellow lines of the highway... I would walk on the yellow lines of the highway. Now, I hope you people don't take it literally. I get t- things taken out of context, and people say, they're crazy. They'd walk on yellow lines. <laughs> I, I know she would never ask me to do that. I know she wouldn't, so I should probably find another analogy. But I was just willing. That's the point I'm trying to say. I was finally willing. I had another girl who was sponsored by her at the same time, and she was like, oh, well, can I do this, and can I do that, you know, and... I didn't even want to ask anymore. I had done it all. And I am so grateful for that experience today because most times when sponsees come and they want to do something, it's like, I've done it. I've tried. It doesn't work. I don't have to, you know, say, well, I don't think it's going to work. I know it's not going to work because it doesn't work. It didn't work for me because I was looking for those loopholes. And that sponsor today um, would tell me about how to live my life. She gave me my life. Um, she'd say a lot, it, you know, it's just common sense. And I'd say, but I don't have common sense right now. I don't have common sense about the food. I don't have common sense about life. I didn't, and people would sit there and read the promises. You'll intuitively know how to stand, handle situations that used to baffle you. I'd sit there and say, what does that mean? I mean, I was really brain dead. I really was. And I needed that brainwashing. And um, this, the way we work this program today is just such a gift to me. And again, if, if you had told me that 20 years ago, that I'd be living the life I am today, how I'm living my life today, I would have, been, I would have said, you're crazy. Because to me, it looked so weird. Today, I look at my life and I look at what I was hanging on to back then, and I say, that's weird, that I would want to hang on to that anxiety and that pain and that negativity and that fear. 
um, which always, always triggered to me. Just go eat something. It didn't, again, it didn't matter if it was a happy occasion, it would register go eat. It didn't matter if I had time to kill, it would register go eat. So I had to get that brain washed. I had to get it thinking differently. And um, this sponsor uh, guided me through so many fearful situations. And with God and my 1%, I was able to do them. Prior to that, I wasn't able, and I, and I truly believe in when the student's ready, the teacher teaches, you know, that I wouldn't have been ready before. I'm grateful she didn't take me on 10 years previous to this because I probably wouldn't have been ready. I probably still would have been kicking and bucking and trying to find the easier, softer way or the other way, any other way but what somebody was telling me to do. Um, I've walked through many painful, painful situations in this program. I went through an awful divorce, and my sponsor taught me how to just show up. Just fill out the papers. That's all you have to do today is fill out the papers. And that got me through a horrendous time in my life, you know, which was probably, other than putting down the food, the most painful thing in my life was this divorce. And by far the hardest thing I ever did in my life was putting down the food. Uh, as I said earlier, it was my best friend. It was everything to me. And I didn't realize um, how cunning and baffling this disease and how really insidious it is. That it'll get us when we're down. It'll get us when we're tired. It'll, when I say us, I mean me, and I know some other people can relate maybe. I hate to get on a pulpit and say, wee, and <laughs> but um, a lot of rough things happened um, in those early years of abstinence. I remember uh, um, I was working at a, at a place in this, man who wasn't really my boss, but he was a, a bigwig in the company, came over and he was screaming at me about something. And I don't usually deal with him, and he's that way. He was very aggressive. And I remember just crying, just going in the bathroom and crying. And I spoke to my sponsor the next morning, and she said, you, you just go up to him and you tell him you don't deserve to be spoken to like that. And I'm like, no way, no way, no way, no way, no way can I do that. No way. And so, quiet time, of course, you work on it, and then I'm asking God for help all morning, you know, and all right, all right, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. That, those are the, the little simple things that I was taught that taught me how to live my life today. I didn't know how to intuitively, I didn't intuitively know anything, but she taught me step by step those little things that helped me to now know today how. And uh, so I did. I went in and I mustered up all the courage I could get. And I said, I don't, <laughs> I probably went, and, you know, um, I don't deserve to be spoken to like that. And, uh, and I just walked off. And a little while later, he comes over and he says, you know, you're right. And I was like, wow, this big wig is kind of apologizing to me. And that's what this program signifies to me. Not just putting down that food, not just losing 85 pounds, and that's not just a just. That was a biggie. I wanted to lose weight my whole life, and I didn't know how to do it. I, 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 I wanted to be able to walk in a health food store and not look like an idiot because I was 210 pounds. I wanted to be able to ride my bike and not have the butts of my behind hanging over each side of the seat, you know, just think going into a store and being able to, able to buy right-sized clothes. Those are the humiliating things to me that were a thread throughout my whole day. It wasn't just like at a certain time of day that I'd think about that I'm fat and I hate myself. It was all throughout my day. It was no matter what went on in my life. That fat 
was a detriment to my whole life, to my whole being. And by putting down the flower and having weight in measured quantities, I then could begin this wonderful journey that my sponsors guided me, guided me on so well. Um, and I, I am so grateful to the people that have gone before me that had that guts 20, 30 years ago to say, Uncle, I give. I'm grateful to them and I listen to them and I am humbled before them because they were able to do it when, when I just wanted to struggle and fight and stay in my disease. you know. And, and again, I don't regret it. Wherever my journey took me, it took me to where I am today. And I'm grateful for that humility. My sponsor has taught me humility. She's taught me dignity. She's taught me um, how to walk through that skepticism and fear and negativity um, because that's what I want to do first. You know, I want to first go to that negative place, then go to the skeptical. It doesn't matter the order to me, but that's where I'd go. And today I can walk through those things with this program. I can just ask God for help. I can do the disciplines. I can pick up the phone. I can get on my knees. I can read the pamphlets that you guys have done so wonderfully. I can't tell you the joy I felt when I first saw the very first FA connection. I felt like so proud to be a food addict in recovery. And and that's how I feel with this convention. It's just incredible to see the recovery and, and the dignity of all of us walk miracles walking around. Um, so to me, I can't give enough back. I just can't. You know, how do you give back um, to someone who's guided you nine and a half years? I hope I have another 20 years of her guidance uh, at least. <laughs> if I just stay abstinent and listen to those directions, and I didn't listen to directions very well. I um, if if I felt like go right, I knew I better go left. You know, because. My way got me to the 210 pounds, kicking and bucking and screaming and saying, no, I don't want to do it that way. And uh, this recovery and this program brought me to the place of feeling joy, you know, every day feeling joy. I was over at my um, grandchildren's house the other day, and I'm fortunate enough to have them right close by, and they were just playing in the yard. They're only like one in three. And um, I, as I was squatting, you know, I, which I never could have done at 210 pounds, watching them play, it was like, it doesn't get any better than this. It just doesn't get any better than this. And um, all I can attribute it to is for one more day, not eating, one more day, keeping one addict out of my family's life, my coworker's life, my fellow's life, I just do the best I can. And that, I know today that that's all God wants of me, is to do the best I can. I thought I had to do some great, wonderful thing, you know, that God was to come say, do this wonderful thing, you know, it's going to help humanity and blah, 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 blah. And in my quiet time, I'd sit there and take my quiet time, and I hear God say, get up, get dressed, and show up for work. You know, and it's as simple as that. My life is as simple as that, and I get so many rewards. The past couple of years, I've had some tough times, and um, I've been able to just get, just keep on doing what I do. I just keep on doing what I do. I was in a car accident where a, uh, the, a drunk driver hit me, and my car was totaled, and all I got from that was a um, little bit of back trouble once in a while, but not bad at all. From there, I got my purse stolen, my um, car broken into and stuff stolen out of that. My mother died last June. Um, 
I've had a lot of life situations, you know, and people say, how are you doing? I'm doing fine because I work this program. I talk to my sponsor about every concern I have. Not a conversation goes by with my sponsor where I'm not asking her. I, I call it picking her brain. And I don't know if that's appropriate either, but I, I ask her questions. I let her know my concerns. I talk to her about what's going on in my life. And that's come, That's a complete miracle because, as I said, I'm coming from a place where I wouldn't let you get to know me. And I, didn't, I, I, would let, I would get to know other people, but I wouldn't let you know me. I'd let you know that facade. I'd let you know that, that actress side of me and what I wanted you to know about me. And today... People know me, and they know what's going on in my life. And um, I think the other thing I'd love to address is um, moving down to Florida eight years ago. And I had just, I had just gotten about a year and a half of abstinence, good, wonderful, serene abstinence. And my husband had moved down to Florida and for work, and we had never discussed him staying down there, but he ended up he was staying because there was so much work. So here I am holding down the fort in my house in Linfield. My daughter was in college in Switzerland. My son was traveling around the country with um, hockey. And my husband was down here. And I'm just like hanging on to the fort because I had such a good, strong recovery at that point. And everybody in the Boston area meetings knew about how scared I was. You know, I had never seen any good, strong meetings down there. So I was so afraid that I was going to lose this wonderful, wonderful abstinence that I had had developed over the year and a half. So I moved down there, and what I found was a bunch of hungry food addicts who wanted this recovery that I had. And it was just like, oh, this is so cool how God works. He works in such mysterious ways. A scared little kid with my knees shaking every time I'd get up in a meeting talking about, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. But I knew I had to go. And uh, God just showing me recovery incredibly tenfold and it just reminds me of the stories you hear about um, when we do the orchestrating when I make the plans it's like this when God does it it's tenfold you know it's just incredible when I get out of the way and I let God do the plan and there again my sponsor guiding me every step of the way helping me to get through these fearful situations and putting that faith and trust in a human instead of that food that's what I had my faith and trust in was that drug that was going to keep me numb. And today I, trans- I transpose it to my sponsor, and very much so at the beginning. At the beginning of my recovery, I just gave everything to her. And, and I had to find the ballast over years, too, because I remember a couple years into it, her and I were having a conversation about grocery stores, and she happened to like Market Basket, and I happened to like Purity. And I hung up the phone and I said, oh, am I going to have to shop at Purity now? And I was like, I don't think you have to switch grocery stores. You don't have to go that far. So I was beginning to learn the ballast of, yeah, she can still be her and I can still be me. But I have to take the suggestions. And um, I've learned over time what those suggestions are and where I can develop my personality and see what's best for me. And we are very different people, but she's been able to guide me and many different people into wonderful, wonderful lives. And um, as I said, I'm just so proud to be a member of FA. And um, another fearful time for me was when we were going to switch to from OA to FA. And I was scared to death, you know. And I remember her just walking me through that, too. 
And I just mustered up the courage because I knew the controversy that would come about, you know. And then I didn't like controversy. I like everything nicey, nice. And um, and she walked me through. And I and I remember just getting to that point. I took a long ride along the beach, you know, and saying, "This is this is who I am. This is where I belong. I'm certainly not going to do it." And so I remember just saying, you know, "We'll be behind you. We'll be behind you, no matter what you guys do." And I kind of still have that philosophy that the people that have walked before me have walked before me for a reason. They know the snags. They know the ups and downs. They know the pitfalls that we can fall into. So I don't have to go reinvent that wheel. I don't have to experiment anymore. And um, I truly listen. I listen and I take those suggestions. And uh, that's been very instrumental for me because I didn't know how to take those suggestions before. Um, as I said earlier, I'd be, I remember sitting in a class in seventh grade and there was a, um, uh, something on the chalkboard, um, philosophical or how to help you in your life. And I remember sitting there with my arms folded and leaning back saying, I dare you to teach me. To myself, I'd always say it to myself. I never had any courage to say things to people. But um, I was just so rebellious and so full of self-will and I'm grateful today that I have a model, I have a guide, I have a mentor that can help me through any situation, you know, and if I can't get hold of her and I can't get hold of my fellows, I know that's when I need to go to God. But I do have somebody that I can call on, and I do call on her. Um, There's a page in the 24-hour that talks about uh, a human being, you know, that... Is the it's something about like a God form? If you you look for somebody that that is it a uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like a uh, what you would imagine God is, you know, what you would imagine a God in the flesh might be. And I truly think of my sponsor like that. And I I I don't think of her as a God. That that was the most ironic thing because in, in through all those years with all the sponsors I had. I had them all on pedestals. Once I was surrendered, I didn't have this one on a pedestal anymore. I just wanted what she had. That was all. And so that's been interesting for me because um, that was always a problem for me is just thinking they were God and I was no good and they were good. And and again, uh, I've been taught how to love and how to be kind and how to be all that I can be. Um, from the love and kindness of somebody who's been before me and is so willing to just be there to help me along. And I've found great joy in being able to help other people along. I find that when when I see somebody having a tough time and they get through to that other side, there's nothing more rewarding to me than to feel that exhilaration of them making it through to the other side. Or I've been fortunate enough to see a, a fellowship grow around me and that's exhilarating to me. Or going up to that newcomer that's really had it, they've had it, they're desperate, uncle, I give. I love that. That's the kind of stuff I love to be able to give it, um, pass it on, what I've so generously been given. So I love this program. I love my sponsor. I love my sponsees. I love how this program works today. I can remember being in the peripheral and seeing it swing this way and swing that way, and there's some crazy things going on, and it's settled just great. I love how this program is today. And I think it truly is based on humility, and that's what I strive for today. I have to pray for it every day throughout the day. God, just give me humility. Give me humility. Because it was when I'd get cocky, I'd be out there on my derriere, and I'd think, 
how did I gain this 30 pounds again? You know, it was because I got cocky and I thought I didn't have to do this or do that. I was chronically unique. Everybody else might have to do it, but I don't, you know. And I learned that was that um, honing process for me. But I'm very grateful to be able to get up here and tell my story. And um, I know it doesn't have to be great. It's only my story. That's all I have to offer when somebody asks me to sponsor them. All I have is what I have. I can't give you something different. I can only give you what I have. And I do the best I can to pass on a a simple program. Uh, My food is simple today, again, because of all the experimenting I did before. It's a gift, a gift I have for this one day, for this one day. If I can get on my knees tonight and thank God for an abstinent day, I'm golden. All the rest is a bonus. doesn't matter what comes down the pike. Something different is going to be coming down the pike next week. So uh, that's just life. And um, I'm just so grateful. I just cannot say enough for this fellowship and um, all the people in it that I've gotten to know and love, and uh, especially my sponsor who's been a wonderful guide and uh, a wonderful human being. Thank you very much. All those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.